This episode is part of our ongoing series with NI Connections, where each month we have the chance to sit down with someone interested from Northern Ireland who's living and working overseas. To find out more about our global diaspora, listen to previous episodes in the series and sign up for a free monthly newsletter. Please visit niconnections.com. Thanks so much and really hope you enjoy today's conversation. Oh, my most vivid memory um, is very clear and it's a very important moment in Northern Irish history and it has to be um, Jerry Armstrong's goal <laughs> for Northern Ireland <laughs> whenever we beat Spain in that famous uh, night at the World Cup in 1982. Um, obviously, I was been seven years old. Wow. I was sitting in the living room at home. I remember my mother was upstairs. I think she was in the bath. Um, but I was watching it on my own. And uh, I remember uh, Billy Hamilton going down the, the wing, going past Tendillo, crosses it in, hits Arcanada, and it comes out to Jerry Armstrong, who buries it. And um, Incredible. Just a really uh, vivid memory and joyful memories of, of Northern Ireland in the World Cup. And jumping up and down uh, <laughs> on, our, on our living room. And I remember going out screaming to my mother, telling her, you know, Northern Ireland have scored, come down, come down. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just, uh, it was such an impactful moment um, as a as for a young boy who was a big football fan, still is. Very, um, very cool. Cert- certainly a, a great memory. <laughs> I love that. So, I mean, what's interesting about you is, so you were born on your dad's 50th birthday in the Royal, yeah. right slap bang in the middle of Belfast, but yeah. you didn't live in Belfast. No. So where was this living room you're telling us about? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, I I was born in the Belf- in, in Belfast. My father was an ambulance man or paramedic, um, as they're now known. Um, so I think, I think he wanted me to be born in the best hospital in Northern Ireland. So that's why I was only, nice. uh, why I was just born in, in the Royal. But then, um, we lived in, in Coleraine, um, up on the North coast, um, grew up in a, in a council housing estate called Bally Sally, um, until I was about nine years old. Um, so that was the living room was in, in Lockin Hill Park in Bally Sally, <laughs> um, which went on to become a bit of a infamous place. But, you know, when I was growing up there, it was a, a very happy, um, friendly place with great neighbours and some, some really fond memories, um, including the one I just talked about. And I imagine there was uh, more football-related action other than what was on the TV in Bally Sally. <laughs> well, <laughs> there certainly was. There was a lot of football action outside. Um, I used to to play football all day and all night till it was dark um, on the green, you know, in the middle of the no ball no ball games signs, <laughs> which were du- duly ignored. Um, but yeah, football. I remember there was playing fields there. I used to to play golf around the the playing fields oh, um, I say golf a bit but there was no hole and there, was only <laughs> one, there was only one club and one ball and you had to kind of make sure you weren't slamming the ball against anybody but uh, it kind of just made the most of of the facilities that, that we cool. had and you, you improvise don't you yeah I know I mean that's what being a kid's all about isn't it yeah, yeah. so like if you if you think you're if you cast your mind back to school like Anything that you were naturally good at, anything that you were naturally drawn to, maybe you hated school in general, like what was your experience like? Yeah, I, I wasn't, um, I wouldn't say I was the most academic of, of students, but I certainly um, put in the effort and I went to went to a couple of different primary schools in Coleraine and then um, for secondary school went to the Coleraine Inst, which is now known as the Coleraine Grammar. Um, I think one of the most disappointing things about going to, to the grammar school was that uh, there was no organised football. Oh, of course, <laughs> um, stupid rugby. Was, sick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was too. Uh, you know, rug, rugby is very much um, a game that any physique can play, but uh, apart from people that are skinny and slow, and I was skinny and slow, <laughs> uh, therefore wasn't wasn't really cut out for um, rugby. But um, no, I mean, school years were, were great, and um, but uh, I also loved working, and I, I worked part time from fourteen in a in a petrol station in Coleraine, and you know worked at the evenings, worked in the weekend, and I I kind of I definitely enjoyed 
working more than schooling, but mm. uh, I, I did appreciate the importance of schooling and making sure that I, I got my A-levels and kind of give me the vehicle to go to university. That's cool. Uh, what's some of the most uh, stand-out-ish moments from working in the BP petrol station? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it wasn't, it wasn't just... Uh, a uh, regular petrol station it was a, right. it was a garage so we actually fixed cars and oh very good i i, I was able to learn how to change tires and wow. you know change change um you know refill oil and do different things like headlamps and head bulbs and yeah that put you in like good that. stead I, for the rest of your life yeah <laughs> well, I, th- I think i think one of the most interesting things was you know there was always people trading you know people were always coming in and buying stuff selling stuff you're the biggest learning point for me was at that age interacting with the general public Mm. and and you know having the banter and having fun and you know buying things selling things we we used to we we would sell motorcycles we would sell cars um we we kind of used the the fact that we worked there as an opportunity to to kind of do other things (laughs) and uh it was but it was it was a great um it was a great experience at such a young age to be dealing with customers and, you know, seeing how a business worked um, and thoroughly enjoyable. I think you're so right. Those kind of early reps of dealing with yeah. people in a customer service capacity are so valuable for yeah. any yeah. walk of life that someone ends up yeah. going down. What's a yeah. womble? Tell me what a womble is. <laughs> yeah, wombles... Uh... <laughs> People will probably be aware of the Wombles of Wimbledon, but we yeah, had nothing yeah. to do with Wimbledon. We were <laughs> we were seasonal workers, I think was the, the official terminology um for people who worked for Corian Borough Council. And basically we we cleaned the beaches and parks and areas around Port Rush, Port Stewart in the summertime. Um cleaned up after tourists from Belfast and other parts of Northern Ireland. The scallions. Uh, <laughs> all the scallions uh, that came up for <laughs> Their holidays in Northern Ireland, but yeah, the Wombles. We were, uh, yeah, a bunch of typically people that were in, you know, first, second, or third year university. We came home and we worked there in the summertime, and it was it was a lot of fun and a lot of really really great memories from from working on the the North Coast. So I don't mean to wade this conversation into such a hot area of controversy so early on but yeah uh what is your favorite beach on the north coast (laughs) (laughs) um that's 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 a tough one um it would have to be probably the the east strand at port rush wow um i think that's nestled nicely between um the road that heads to port stewart and and port rush harbor um and it's uh, not that I was ever a great surfer. I love I love watching people surf, <laughs> particularly particularly in the winter time, which I find fascinating. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's hard to choose. I mean, we're so lucky. It's one of the things that when you move away from home, you you realise how lucky we were to have such amazing beaches on the north coast. Um, and those were all blue beaches by European standards. So mm. at Wombles, we felt very proud that we were contributing towards the European blue beach standard. And rightly <laughs> so, so uh, 100%. Exactly. Yeah. So why Scotland? Or what, what, kind um, of, what, what led you to that decision of, of going away? Yeah, I went to university in, in Glasgow. I think, you know, this would have been about 93. And mm. unfortunately, uh, the troubles were, you know, there was kind of no end in sight. Um, so I I didn't um, feel like I wanted to stay in Northern Ireland. I felt like I wanted to broaden my horizons. And to be honest, most people did from, certainly from my school, most people went to either England or Scotland um, to study. And that was that was quite a source of inspiration because people, you know, talking to people that were a bit older than you they'd always they'd had good fun and they'd had great experiences and um, I had looked at some options in England but uh, Glasgow was close you know in terms of culturally it was close physically and uh, I knew some people that were uh, already at Strathclyde and I'd, I'd been over to visit and uh, yeah, just it seemed it seemed like a natural choice, um, despite the fact that back then we didn't we didn't have EasyJet or Ryanair. We had to actually physically take a ferry from <laughs> Larn to uh, Larn to Stranraer, and then a, a two and a half hour uh, 
trained, but that, but that, that was part of the experience. Yeah. Was, uh, yeah. was the journey. <laughs> Absolutely. Your, your, your journey to Hogwarts as it were. Yeah. <laughs> um, what doesn't seem like a natural choice. If you just look at kind of like where you've ended up today is studying politics. Like, yeah. Speak to that a wee bit. Yeah. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, uh, for my career when I was 18, 19 I mean, years old. Who does really? Who, yeah. <laughs> who, who does? I mean, I, I grew up in a culture where it was, you're, you're kind of presented with lots of occupations that you should really get into, you know, the, the doctor, the dentist, the lawyer, the civil servant, the bank manager, the, sure. the even even the police, you know, and because uh, they were all seen as, but cer- certainly the, the the culture of where I lived and my parents, you know, they they were great jobs, you know, provide you with a solid, stable um, career, and and I I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor. Um, I didn't. I wouldn't want to be a dentist. Um, <laughs> I didn't make the grades for law. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I had studied politics at A level, and I really was interested in it not not from a not from a kind of day to day Northern Irish politics perspective, but from an international affairs perspective. Mm. And I was always interested in you know what governments were doing around the world, and you know foreign policy and. Um, the way that business interacts with with government was something that I was very interested in, as well as the European Union was was gaining momentum back then as well. So um, I decided to go and take that politics uh, A level a, a, a step further by studying at uh, at university. That's cool. I think like the understanding the systems of how power works and how yeah. people work within those systems is yeah. really really interesting yeah. and very kind of. You can cross pollinate that with a lot of kind of yeah. areas as well. Yeah, I say this a lot. It, politics is the biggest business in the world. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Every every business in the world is regulated by government, and government regulations and everything that's that's done internationally is is governed um, in some way or another through political relationships. So it really is something that I think everybody should should at least try and understand the basics of. Talk to us about losing your dad then, and yeah, kind of the the domino that that had. Yeah, it was was very tough. Um, uh, my dad was twenty when I died. He had a short illness with uh, uh, cancer, with wow. colon cancer, um, and from diagnosis to to him passing away was really only about six or seven weeks, which, which came over the summer of twenty um, two thousand and five. Uh, sorry, sorry, 1995. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, that 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 was tough um, to lose him at such a young age, and you're really, really in a state of shock. Um, but immediately after that, I, uh, I I booked a trip to Hong Kong uh, because a friend of mine from school, um, who whose parents lived there, they were Northern Irish as well, actually, <laughs> and uh, I think just to, to to try and get away from things for a couple of weeks and go to somewhere that was completely different it was it was a trip that i made which which actually ended up changing my thought process around the rest of my life wow so like how do you go about processing the death of you know someone like your dad at that age of 20 you know like that's I think it, it, it knocks most people out no matter when it yeah. comes but that is very young and it's, it's such a significant moment of your life as well you know yeah i mean i i I had to be strong for my mother i had no brothers or sisters Mm. um so i had to be be strong for her um and i don't i don't think you really do process it um i think maybe you think you are processing it and you are dealing with it but you know for me it, it really hit me several months later when I was back at university in Scotland and away from home, you know, what had actually happened. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people, you know, depression is something that people, um, it's talked about a lot, but people don't really understand it. But I, I'm, I'm fully of the opinion that everybody will experience that mm-hmm. at some point in their life um, and maybe not accept it. But um, And I probably I was depressed um, a few months after my dad's death, um, without admitting it to myself. Yeah. But uh, I think I think looking back, it's 
it is it is it's something that's that's hard to get over but um you know you try and focus on the positive things that that he brought to my life and uh, the community's life you know he he was uh, in the ambulance service for 25 years and wow. you know did did lots of amazing things and was rewarded for um bravery uh, for some of the things that he did in the ambulance service and you know he he had he had uh, he had dealt with a lot of troubles related issues um in his job as well and he took it he took it all um i think he took it all in his stride but i think underneath it's a it's a very stressful job and yeah. you know one which you know cuz cuz you are the first person on the scene of of whatever happens whether it's mm. somebody given birth somebody got shot somebody's in a car accident um somebody's died you know the the paramedics are the first on the scene and it's an amazingly important role and uh, one which i certainly deeply appreciate absolutely I, I really appreciate what you said about how like you know depression is it's a hard thing to define and I would say you know few people can really have that level of acceptance where they say yeah yeah this is actually what I'm going through or what I've experienced was there anything about that kind of season of depression after your dad died that any lessons you learned or any kind of coping mechanisms or habits or practices that you've been able to take forward the handle kind of future difficult moments yeah. in your life i think i i met a i met a great former politician once um actually john howard who was <laughs> the former well-known president of australia and he 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 i said dinner with him and he i asked him for his advice about about life in general and when how how you make decisions and process things and he I've actually got it written on on my wall in my office. It says he, he said, "Put everything into context." Wow! Whenever you make a decision, don't just make a decision or feel about that one particular thing. Um, you should see everything um, in the broader context um, of life and relationships and opportunity. Um, and I think for me at that time, it was to the realization that I was young. I was in a really good place. I was studying. I was I had a great, great mother and family back home. I had great opportunity in front of me. And um, I think that that's, I think whenever you do put things into context, it, uh, it can help you through some of the most difficult decisions that you have to make and some of the most troublesome times that you might have in your life. It's really really interesting wow yeah context is really it is everything isn't it yeah what was it like going to experience like a completely different context then in the you know the different planet that is hong kong yeah so i as i say i went there for a two-week holiday um as a break in 95 just around september 95 and it was a place that it, it it fascinated me um from a from a cultural perspective um from a business perspective and from a lifestyle perspective um when i saw the way that my friend's family was was living um in an amazing apartment overlooking aberdeen harbor in hong kong which was which was paid for by the company <laughs> um and you know they they had uh, they were very well looked after in terms of um people looking after them and uh, and, and I, I found it, I found it very inspiring because, and, and I think kids need inspiration to help them shape what they do, in it, but at least give them an insight and options into to what they can do throughout their life. And that that initial visit to Hong Kong um, changed my mindset from uh, maybe thinking about going into something, you know, politics related, perhaps through government. Um, to actually getting into international business. And I, I came back from that trip um, with a view that, you know, I'm going to work for a big company and I'm going to see the world mm. and uh, and I'm going to focus my uh, getting out of university in a, in a place where I can get myself into a large global company and start to experience the world. Um, and then, of course, you know, fast forward, uh, I guess 20, 20 odd years, I actually moved to Hong Kong uh, <laughs> and lived there for, for almost two years. Um, and, uh, you know, it, and going back to live there was just as equally as, as fascinating, exciting and interesting 
um, as it was the the first time I went. Mm. So after uni, you joined, I think it was BT, on kind of like a graduate program. Like you had a very clear kind of vision in your head of what you wanted. You know, you wanted to work for a big company. You wanted the ability to travel. Yeah. How do you, how did you then go about like positioning yourself to get out, get the opportunities out of the big company that you wanted? Because there's plenty of people who can, you know, kind of get sucked into the corporate beast and kind of get stuck. So how did you make that corporate environment sort of work for you and allow you to get out of life what you wanted? Yeah, you have to be proactive and make it happen yourself. Um, I get, I mentor a lot of younger people, and they often say to me, "How do I, how do I move here or do this or do that?" And I'm, and I always say to them, "Nobody's going to call you and ask you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to ring you up and say, hey, do you fancy moving to Sydney, Australia for five yeah, years?'" Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. So I think, I think you have to be you've got to be proactive you've got to build relationships internally with the people that can make that happen for you um and you've got to convince people that would be hiring you in another country um as to what you would bring into that country in terms of your experience your knowledge your ability to do the job uh, because they've got a a cast of hundreds of people that they can choose locally that doesn't involve any visas or hr sure forms or meetings or justification so you have to um be able to position i think like most things in life what what what's unique about you and uh and i that that and and be proactive and, and also don't get um don't get dejected because i i i had a lot of tries to move internationally before i actually before it actually came off um so so don't don't get disheartened because one day as it happened with me when I moved from Hong Kong to the US, um, I met somebody who became my boss who was, and he he completely got it. He he saw the value that I could bring into the United States, and wow. and he 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 backed me and sponsored me into into that role. So, kind of on that point, then, like I'm, this is a dead end. That's totally fine. We can reverse and, and go a different direction. Like, what are some of the unique aspects of yourself or your soft skills or the values i suppose that you were able to bring to an international environment specifically coming from the home environment that you did yeah i think um i talked about it earlier i think my early exposure to 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 the general public in a in a customer service and sales environment um, were really helpful for me um, because I think that that helps with your, your confidence. It helps with your ability to speak. It helps with your ability to negotiate. And I think the more exposure that kids get to um, people older than them, I think it helps with your maturity. Hmm. Um, so I think that, I think that because I was, I always loved working. I loved working with customers. I loved doing deals. I loved buying. I loved selling. Always trying to make money. Didn't didn't always make money. Sometimes I <laughs> sold things for for more than I'd bought them for. But that that was a good lesson in itself. Um, I think that early upbringing of of being in business, uh, even though it was only you know part time working at a at a petrol station, was was very valuable to me. Very very cool. So you're kind of on the graduate path, you know, you're living mainly in London. What kind of happens next in that BT journey? Yeah, I I was, um, I went through a period of different roles, typically sales leadership roles in an enterprise world where we were selling to big companies um, and a lot of fun, uh, worked with a lot of great people, managed people, led big teams. Um, in different markets, um, notably oil and gas, was a market that I had three years of involvement with, which, which was great because it gave me a lot of exposure to the U.S. and I used to travel to Texas a lot, and and I I loved that. I really loved um, the international component of that role. But after about ten years in BT, I I felt like I needed to educate myself more formally and uh, round myself out, and instead of just having a pure sales background. I wanted to move towards being a managing director and having much more of a mm. of a of a 
all-encompassing general manager type role. And I figured that the best way for me to do that would be to do an MBA, a master's in business. Um, and I decided that I would go and do that in Sydney, in Australia, <laughs> as you do. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a pretty extreme change. Like, what was the thinking behind that? If I'm going to give up my kind of comfortable life, yeah. I may as well go and do it properly sort of thing yeah. no absolutely i thought it was it was, basically it was an investment in me mm. um which is always always a good investment to invest in yourself um i wanted to do it in a different country because there's tons of mbas that i could have done in the uk but um i thought you know let's use this as an opportunity to live and experience in another part of the world uh, which is and australia had been there before it's obviously english-speaking country um i think the, the university i went to you could do the mba in 12 months nice. which is quite unusual because usually they take 18 months um and i thought i thought it would be i, I didn't want to do it part-time because i felt that there would be too much of a distraction between balancing studying yeah. with work so i figured that you know let's let's pack up work let's take a take a year year and a half out and really focus on this um <clears throat> and it was the most challenging yet rewarding 12 months of my life um it really was um, a fantastic experience so give us a bit more on that because mba is sort of like uh it has like mythical status and yeah. you know it, it's it's yeah. kind of a bit of a unicorn and people don't really know yeah. what it is and some people yeah. have good experiences some people have bad experiences yeah. some people say it's a waste of time some people say it's the best yeah. thing they've ever done so give yeah. us a bit more on that yeah and, and, and you know one of the things i say to people who ask me about should they do an mba i always say them from the outset it guarantees nothing yeah <laughs> it's not like doing a a medical degree or a dentistry degree where at the end of it you are a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer or whatever um and i think it has to be something that you undertake with 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 that knowledge but also you have to see it as a personal development um and an opportunity for you to to learn and then to apply that learning to your career going forward and similarly like i was saying before where nobody's going to call you to offer you a job in sydney you know there's you to, you ha, you have to put your mba into action mm. and you have to make it work for you and you have to um be able to explain how you use it when you're in job interviews to help differentiate you um and make it um make it stand out for you because on paper it's just a qualification sure but um the learning, the experience, the people that you meet, um, the people that you interact with, the the heart, the pain you put yourself through, with some <laughs> of the some of the some of the classes like accounting for me, for example, was was very painful. Uh, as were statistics and finance. You know, those were not uh, naturally um, subjects that I would be be great at. Uh, it's uh, but it's 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 an absolutely great um, qualification. Um, and whenever I went on to run a business for BT, um, it was something that was I was able to use every day, really. Wow. Very cool. So after your MBA, it's kind of like a, a very painful, high-stress sabbatical for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. What did you want next in your life, or what were you looking for? Yeah, I, I, the, the whole point of doing it for me was to, to run a business. And when I, I I was in Australia for the for that year, and then I moved back to the UK, and it was during the global financial crisis. And at the time, it was it was it was hard to get a job. Sure. <laughs> never mind, never mind to get the job that you wanted. Um, but I did get a job, and I ended up uh, working for a big French system integration company. Um, and the job was supposed to be based in Scotland, which is where I lived. But I ended up having to spend four nights a week in a hotel in London mm. because the customers I was dealing with were all in London, and I, I kind of just got a bit fed up with that. I felt that it was it was tiring, um, and I wasn't enjoying it. And then I got a I got a call from a friend of mine who was working at a startup, which. Uh, which built mobile apps. And, and this was at about the time, 2010, when the iPhone 3 had just come out and apps were really starting to take off. And wow. 
people were talking about apps. Have you seen this app? Have you got this app? Companies wanted apps, and and this company that that I started working for actually built apps. Oh wow! And they needed somebody to go to Australia and to run that Australian business, um, top to bottom. So be responsible for the whole profit and loss and marketing and actually the software development and all the the build of the products out into the Australian market. And that that was just too good an offer to crazy to to refuse. So I packed my bags and went back to Australia for the second time to to run that company. Wow. And so you kind of had this dream of managing a business. You'd done your MBA. Like, talk to us about, like, Instagram versus reality. Like, did you enjoy <laughs> Did you enjoy it? Like, was it worthwhile? Was it harder than you thought it would be? Was it better in other ways? Like, what was your actual the, lived experience? The M- for the MBA? For running the, uh, okay. the tech startup? Yeah. It was. It was great. It was. Um, it's interesting. I, I think it's great to have worked for big companies and also startups. And there's benefits mm. of both, right? You know, big company, you have a brand, you have a product, you have a process, you have a position in the market, you have lots of people that can help you do lots of things, right? But whenever you're in a startup, there's no brand, there's no process, you don't have a lot of customers. <laughs> you're you're trying to. Um, you know, you're making cold calls, you're out there, you're hustling, right? You're hustling to, to get new business. And, um, and that was, that was thrilling for me. Um, I found that, I found that, you know, whilst challenging, it was thrilling, you know, and we had a, we'd had some really good successes in the UK. We'd built things like the Guardian app, we'd built a Pizza Express app in the UK. And, and we're coming this into Australia and that Australia always looks to the in my experience, looks to the UK and the US for ideas and mm-hmm. things that were working well in both the US and the UK. And we, the company had had these really great examples. So we were able to use those to to win business. And I remember winning the, the first uh, big contract that we did to build an app for a big financial services agency. I mean, it was just thrilling. It was very exciting. And I had a prolonged legal negotiation. And that in itself was hard because as a startup, you get bullied. Yeah. Um, by big companies <laughs> and we, we were bullied by a big financial services organization we were bu- bullied by a, a massive telecommunications organization in australia but but we were we had our unique capabilities and they 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 wanted the stuff that that we could do uh, for their business and because it was so impactful and everybody was screaming out the consumers just were screaming out for more and more apps so mm. it was um yeah, it was it was it was exhilarating, um, but uh, but yeah, very difficult. But but certainly, it was, I'm I'm really pleased that I was able to do startup, that I've done startup and big business as well. So cool. How did you meet Kat? Yeah, um, my wife Kat. So actually, MBA linkage. Oh um, really? Yeah. Well, I studied with her cousin. Oh nice. Um, and. Her cousin was from Thailand, from from Bangkok, and a couple of years after MBA, she had come down to Sydney to to meet people. And Kat was already living in Australia. She'd she'd done a master's in business as well, but she she'd already been living there and was an Australian citizen. And uh, I met her through uh, her cousin, who was my friend from MBA. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Love at first sight, slow and steady. What was uh, your path? I think I was maybe in love at first sight more than she was. <laughs> it was definitely one-sided when when things started off. Uh, um, but yeah, no, it was uh, yeah, it was great. And uh, we actually we actually um, dated for a while, and then she decided that we weren't going to date anymore. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And we just became friends, and we we were friends for years, like two or three years, and um and then we picked it up romantically after about three years as well. So, um that was that was great. I think it's I always say to people, if you're going to get married, you should marry your best friend. Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah, we we had we shared the same interests. We both loved um nice restaurants and like adventure and going to football matches together and stuff oh, that's so, handy. Um, it was uh yeah it was a pretty 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 good match <laughs> so you guys are parents now patrick came yeah. along yeah yeah 
you're married to a woman from Thailand. You yourself yeah. are from, you know, Bali Sally, Cool Rain. <laughs> it's yeah. quite an eclectic mix. Like, you know, I would say there's probably very few, although probably more than I would imagine, uh, Thairish people in the world. Yeah, Thai, that's what Irish. we've called them. <laughs> yeah, Irish, yeah, we've we've coined that phrase, yeah. <laughs> How do you go about like thinking about your sense of identity or your home and cuz you know my wife's German, so on a much oh, yeah. smaller scale, I understand yeah. that there's always a lot of play about deciding where do we live, where do we move, where do we raise our yeah. kids? How do you kind of navigate some of that stuff? Um, I think it's really important to to have that connection with you know where his mother's from and where I'm from. So we, so we've been back to Northern Ireland many times. Um, COVID kind of put things on hold for a while, but mm. we're booked to go to Port Rush in August next year. So <laughs> well, the flight, flights are booked for a week in the port. Who, who needs the Bahamas when you can go to Port Rush for a week? Right? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, but we've also been in Thailand many times as well. So we've been able to get over there. He was actually born in, in Bangkok and Incredible. we brought up, he came here, with with my wife when he was like six weeks old whenever he came here so he's he's very american american accent american outlook but he understands thai language mm. he doesn't speak too much of it but she cat talks to him a lot in thai and he can understand it and he i mean every day is there's face time with parents um cat's parents um in bangkok and cat's sister in sydney um which is great i mean you think about whenever well when i was growing up there was international phone calls which were very expensive and sure you know my former employer made a lot of money at uh, those <laughs> a very expensive international phone calls but you think about it now it's you can just fire up facetime whatsapp and um talk to people face to face and anywhere in the world for free which is amazing so so i think that 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 connection um is just very important and uh so whilst he's growing up as really an, an American kid, yeah, um, we we tried to. He had his he had soccer football last night and wore his Northern Ireland um, <laughs> full full strip. Um, despite despite the result last night, he uh, <laughs> he still had the enthusiasm and wore his full strip. So yeah, we we just try and make sure that we that he can connect to to his 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 cultural heritage. That's cool. Um, tell us about some of the ways that you yourself try to maintain that connection to home. Uh, I've only, I haven't lived overseas for a long period of time. Three years was my, my most. And I know that even in that kind of short time frame, like there is a real kind of pining for home or maybe a sense of like trying to hold on to something so you don't lose it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's probably come as no surprise to people that have been listening. The football is the big, um, <laughs> The big connector for me, um, <clears throat> whenever I was living away, even living in Scotland, um, living in Australia, and even living in Hong Kong, there's Northern Ireland supporters clubs in all three of those places. Um, Are you serious? So always, oh, absolutely. What the I mean, heck? There's, there's, I mean, there's a big, big group of guys in Scotland. They're great guys. I went to Grand Canaria with them, actually, to, to, to see a game there. Hilarious. Um in Australia, there's there's Northern Ireland supporters clubs in Sydney and Melbourne and Perth and Brisbane. Oh my goodness, multiple! <laughs> um, uh, one of one of the one of the guys over there in Perth has actually uh, formulated a, a brew, a Northern Ireland centenary brew, a beer um, that uh, has just been released this year, um, which is interesting. Crazy, but uh, there, there's there's Northern Ireland people everywhere in the world, and. Uh, the the clubs are just an just a way to bring people together, have a bit of crack, you know. Play we actually played a bit of football in tournaments and stuff. But uh, even in Hong Kong, there was a few of us got together um, to watch games there. Um, and when I moved from Hong Kong to the US, I I realized that there was no Northern Ireland supporters club in and around New York. So despite the the size and scale of New York as a city, um, there was no supporters club. Wow. So I decided to set one up. Um, why not? I thought we'll, we'll get, we'll get people to bring the whole, the whole objective being just to bring people together, to, to keep people in touch with home, to build relationships and have a bit of fun. And, uh, this would have been just before the, the euros. So we, we'd already qualified for the euros, but, um, I set that up and it's been, been a great success. We have, 
uh, several members, and we we watch the games in New York City in bars, and Class. we often have people, uh, expats from Northern Ireland living here. We have lots of um, tourists that come through that are looking for somewhere to watch the match. They they come along as well, and uh, yeah, no, it's been that that has been the big um, connector for me with Northern Ireland. Um, you know, given that both my parents have have passed away, you now my mum's been passed away for about seventeen years, you know, and I had no brothers or sisters there, so the football's always been a, a great connector for me, both um, to 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 outside of Northern Ireland, but also when I go back uh, for games, it's it's a great, it's 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 really like family. That's awesome. I mean. It, it- football as well for you like your work has been a real in a strange way like a connector to the rest of the world like it's been a bit of a passport for you like i was chatting to my barber actually on friday there when i was in getting the shave and uh he was saying like you know he's a Dramore lad like you know born and bred Dramore, went to Dramore school and he's been to like i don't know like is it 30 countries just (laughs) following northern ireland the football yeah. team around, you know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. like, it sounds like yeah. you, you also have done, like, quite a lot of traveling, yeah. like, following wherever they're playing. Yeah, and some some of them quite far-flung places. I mean, one of the things that's great about it is you, you go to places that you would never go to. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. nobody's going to typically book a vacation or holiday in Azerbaijan. Right? <laughs> or, or, or Belarus, right? Sure. Or, so we, we've been to... You know, Estonia and Belarus and Azerbaijan and Costa Rica, Panama. Costa Rica? Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, there was a tour about three years ago to Panama and Costa Rica, um, which was a pretty amazing part of the world uh, to visit. Um, But yeah, no, it it takes you places that that you would never you'd never go to but at the same time when you get there you're like i mean this place is i mean baku in azerbaijan is um a fascinating place you know it's very mm-hmm. historical it's 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 a it's a big oil area there's lots of investment going in there they've got the formula one and whenever we went there it was actually uh, about a week before the formula one so it was all set up um and then of course going to places like belarus you know considering the political challenges and pressures that they have right now. Um, it was really great to visit there and uh, meet people and understand more about life there and see the see how people live and just really get a feel for the, the culture. Absolutely. So bringing this up to current day then, like how on earth did you join Amazon? Yeah, I... I joined Amazon about six months ago. I was looking to. I've been at BT for a long time. Um, BT has been great to me um, and given me lots of great opportunities. But I, I was really keen to join one of the big American leading technology firms, and you know they don't come much much bigger than Amazon. I mean, and, yeah, the, uh, there's not. I mean, who else is there really? <laughs> Yeah, well, well, I can't mention them, but I don't want to <laughs> give them publicity. But I work, I work specifically for Amazon's web services uh, business, which is their cloud computing division, which is a is a big part of the company, which um, provides cloud computing services to to everything from startups to big enterprises to big governments. So it's a really big, scalable yeah. cloud computing platform. AWS and, is really like the it's the the iceberg below what you can see, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a fascinating company. It's it's growing rapidly. It's um, got a very great culture um, in the way that they and 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 a, a lot of companies, you know, the mission statements and cultural values they get put up on the on the wall and. But never talked about or never actually lived. But you know, that's a, I think that's one of the big differences about Amazon is you know people really live the values, and um, you'll you'll hear um, people talk about Amazon's leadership principles regularly every day, mm. and uh, it's really really I believe what's helped make the company so amazingly successful. So, what actually do you do for them? Like, do you have like a title? No titles are like out of date, but. Like, what is it that you actually do for Amazon? Yeah, I, I lead something we call strategic engagements with our customers. Um, and by that, what that really means is engaging with our biggest um, enterprise customers that are um, expanding 
the business that they do with us. So companies that are looking to either make the transition away from old-fashioned IT, which is on-premises with data centers, which is very expensive from a total cost of ownership perspective, from a real estate perspective, from a from a electricity and air conditioning perspective, and move that stuff into what we call uh, the public cloud, which is which is Amazon Web Services. Um, so we help. I'm helping customers make that transition, uh, but I also deal with lots of startups that are looking to build their businesses um, in the cloud uh, on Amazon Web Services and. Uh, you know, there's many, many examples out there on AWS website of companies that, that have done that. And uh, most of the, everybody I would say is using Amazon Web Services every day, um, whether they, they realize it or not, because so many of the world's big brands um, have really digitally transformed their organizations by by moving to the cloud and, you know, benef- you know taking, taking advantage of all the benefits that uh, that the cloud brings. I mean, it's it's crazy, and it is obviously a very small, specific example. But even my business, you know, a hundred percent of it is on yeah. the cloud. It, like, yeah. th- there's no physical yeah. asset that I own yeah. or have control over. And it's funny to think that you know, even ten years ago, that just would not have happened. Yeah. No, absolutely. And even five or six years ago, big companies where there was a lot of inertia about moving to the cloud, and you know, there was lots of concerns about security but in actual fact the biggest security breaches have been on premises mm. you know where customers have been trying to manage their own data centers and you know that's the the real move to the cloud actually helps make companies much more secure and as you said it reduces your your total cost of ownership but uh, and it means that you can focus on your core business instead of uh, managing IT systems and servers and computers That's and it. all those sorts of things, which certainly I never would have had any yeah. any skills to 100%. do. Now you can just turn it all up in the cloud. Mate, it's a and, laptop uh, and a microphone. That's all it is. Exactly. You know, it's just crazy, crazy stuff. Exactly. Exactly. So looking forward, then, like you've had this incredible career, you seem to have ticked quite a lot of things off your list. What are some of the things that are remaining on that list? Well, I have visited 75 countries my goodness um, up to up to date i managed to squeeze the 75th one in a few weeks ago in malta i was able to get to malta for a few days um but i'd like to get to 100 countries before i turn uh 50 so about three and a half years which is which is pretty ambitious actually considering i've been to a lot of the easy countries (laughs) um and yeah, you just you just spend ten hours driving through Europe and just yeah. take forty off the list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I've done I've done most of the European ones, but uh, I've only done four countries in South America. So there's there's a vast Whoa, yeah. number there, like yeah. Peru, like Ecuador, like Bolivia, and Colombia are on my list. So hoping to to knock those off soon. Um, I've been to most places in in Asia. Um, I don't have. Uh, many left. I think that was one of the great things about living in Hong Kong was I was able to go to places like like Myanmar, like Laos, like Cambodia, Vietnam. You know those top f- four out of the five uh, big communist countries. So it was really really good to to go to those places. Um, but uh, yeah, I want to get to a hundred in the next three and a half years. So that's. That's that's a big ambition. COVID hasn't helped. <laughs> COVID, COVID has just not. squeezed the. <laughs> it's just squeezed the squeezed the time frame. But so so that's one thing. I mean, another big thing from for us is we we'd like we we talked about that connection to um, our cultural heritage before, and I would really like to be able to move back to Northern Ireland for for a while, um, if not for good. Um, so that's something that. Uh, uh, kind of trying to have a trajectory towards uh, but similarly uh, we have talked about options through Thailand as well or maybe been able to do both I, I think I think it'd be great to live in Port Stewart during our summer and maybe Thailand in the winter I mean <laughs> if that was possible you've just laid out the dream right there haven't you <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly so uh, so yeah that that's something we're looking at as well but I, I, I I'm also um 
I'm doing lots of things. I'm I'm coaching football right now with kids, which is which is which is really interesting. I I do lots of mentoring um, for people in business, and uh, I'm always looking to 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 make a contribution and help people, and um, you know, stay healthy and happy, and keep keep the dream alive and keep the adventure going. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. So, out of everything so far, then, what would you say is your most challenging moment um i think that when i when i moved from australia to hong kong which would have been about 2015 um that was that was really difficult because i had a really amazing life in australia with a great company and a great job and actually cat was there and uh i I really wanted to live in Asia and we had plans that Kat would come and join me and thankfully she did, but well, she wasn't able to come straight away. Um, but when, when I, when I got there, I actually really struggled to settle in to life in Hong Kong. Um, I think, I think part of the, the difficulty for settling in was that I, I'd left such a good life behind and mm. people would say, why did you leave? You know, I was living on, on, you know, near Manly Beach, and I had my own apartment, and I had a great job, good company. But but at the same time, I I felt like I was a little bit, I was kind of done with Australia. I felt like I had seen what I needed to, and I'd been there for five years, and I'd experienced so many things, and I felt like I really wanted to experience Asia and live somewhere that it was that was at the heart of Asia. Mm. And there's no place more central in Asia than Hong Kong, but. But having got there, I found it it was very difficult. I didn't, I didn't uh, pick a good place to stay. That was problematic. I had a very challenging boss at the time. Um, I really struggled. But but there was one moment. I was where I nearly left. Actually, I think I think I started work on the Monday. I think by the Thursday I was done. You know, I think I got there just a couple of days, but I think I got there on the Sunday, started working the Monday. By the Thursday, I thought, I'm done with this joint. And I had my old company sales director in Australia begging me to come back and offering all sorts of nice things to, <laughs> to go back to that company. And uh, I went out for coffee with somebody uh, in, from the office called uh, called Eileen. And uh, I tell this story a lot because Eileen, if it hadn't been for Eileen, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have stayed in Hong Kong. Wow. Um, but she, I went out for coffee and she reminded me. She's like, well, "Why are you here?" And I'm like, "Because well, I wanted to be at the heart of Asia. I wanna, I wanna live here. I wanna, I wanna be understand this culture. I wanna do new things and I wanna get new experiences." And she said, "Well, that, well, that's why you should stay. You should stick this out. Um, you should." Um, remember why you're here wow. and uh why you made the decision to come here and stick it out and thanks to her i did um because i think if i'd have moved back to australia I, i'm not sure we'd even be having this conversation now i mean I, I might i might i might have just stayed there or i might have just moved back to the uk but uh hong kong gave me the launch pad to get into america because wow. uh, i went i joined bt in hong kong and uh, it's really difficult to to get a work visa in the states, but if you have uh, if you work for a company that has a sister business in America, you can transfer on a on a particular visa. So um, Hong Kong gave me that launch pad into the America, and uh, the rest is history. Unbelievable! What would you say your most successful moment has been so far? Um. Well. I think having a child um, is the most, for me, the most successful thing that I've ever done. Obviously, uh, my wife had the most important part in that. Takes two to tango. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, I think you know, I was I got married at forty, and uh, I certainly, which was good actually, probably a good thing. Um, and then I was 41 when Patrick was born. So I think that that's certainly the, my proudest moment is having a son and bringing up a son. I mean, all, all the career stuff and traveling the world and um, visiting different countries and doing my MBA and th those things are all important and great. And But success is, 
it's how you define it, and everybody defines success differently. You know, it's, it's, people, sometimes people think success just means you know career, money, job, car, all of the above, right? But success is different definition for for everybody, and I think I think it's important to remember that. And for me, um, having a having a boy was was my most uh, proudest proudest moment, and just. It, it feels feels great to be a dad. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it is. It's it's such a it's a difficult question, really, because the definition is so broad yeah. and so different for each yeah. person. But I think you know, I think ultimately, it's something that we have to yeah. we have to kind of figure out for ourselves. Yeah. Uh, if you could take anyone from Northern Ireland out for oh. a cup oh. of coffee or a pint, dead or alive, who would you take, and um, where would you take them? It'd have to be Van the Man. <laughs> yeah, let's go. It'd have to. It'd have to be Van the Man. I know he, he's a, he's he's quite an interesting, complex character. But I don't think there's there's very few Northern Irishmen that have made such a amazing success or impact in the world of of music and the arts as as Van Morrison over such a sustained period of time. Mm. I mean, his discography is 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 amazing. It's inspirational. It's, and I love the way he, the way he wrote so much about um, back home and his upbringing and in East Belfast and, you know, County Down and Coney Island and all the things that he sings about. I think are, they remind me of home in in so many ways. And I I think that he's I think that he's made such an amazing impact. Um to the music industry and I think it's great that he comes from Northern Ireland and he still lives um, in Northern Ireland um, which is which is a great thing as well I think he moved back from the US so I'd, I'd love to I'd love to take him out and just understand more and ask him a few questions about his life and his career and um, where he got the inspiration for those songs <laughs> where would you take him um my favourite place in the world is the Harbour Bar in mm. Portrush. Um, very fond memories for me um, as a child. Um, my dad was a fanatical fisherman and he had a boat in Portrush. And you know, very often after fishing, we would we would stop in there. Um, I'd have a club orange, a pack of nuts, <laughs> whilst he had a bottle of Guinness. But uh, the the place, the the front bar at the harbour is still the same as it was when I was a kid, which is great. And uh, I'd love to sit at the the bar in the harbour with him, have a pint of Guinness, and have a chat. <laughs> That's awesome, Roger. Final question then: If you could go back in time to an eighteen-year-old version of yourself just before you got on the ferry to go to uni in Scotland, and you had a few minutes of 18-year-old Roger's time, what yeah. sort of things would you say to him? Um, I'd, I'd go back to that phrase I said before about putting things into context. You know, always think about the bigger picture and not just singular items or decisions or people or scenarios. You know, think about making decisions and whether it be relationship or business or where you're going to live or what you're going to do, just try and think about try and think about the the broader context and the the wider scenario and implications of what you're going to do. I mean, I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything. Um, so I wouldn't give any uh, advice to my 18 year old self to do something differently. <laughs> um, which I think is it's great that I'm kind of comfortable with myself in that respect but uh yeah i think i think just i mean i, I wouldn't I, I could say things like you know be positive be energetic but like that i was always those things anyway you know i was i always had a i always had a, a kind of positive outlook a lot of energy i was always adventurous um i always wanted to see the world um, i always knew that there was something something big out there and um i think that's that's what i would say is you know Look at everything in in context, not just not just uh, single um, decisions. Brilliant, Roger. Well, thank you so much for thank you 
giving your time to do this today i really enjoyed hearing more about your story it was class thank you matt been a pleasure thank you cheers unbelievable stuff look thank you so much once again for listening my name is matthew thompson and we're on a mission to share 350 conversations that celebrate northern ireland and the incredible people who call it home Massive thanks once again to NI Connections for making today's episode possible. And like I said at the top of the show, you can find out more about our global diaspora, listen to other conversations in this series, and sign up to their free monthly newsletter by visiting niconnections.org.